0: To Imaginarium, an alternate history of art, a podcast where we delve into the most obscure parts of art history. Hello, dear listeners. I'm your host, Naja. And in this podcast, we try to shed light on less studied parts of the history of art and visual culture. In this third part of our mini series, on the golden age of illustration will discuss the movement of art nouveau toward the turn of the 20th century, as well as art deco and their places within the greater context of the golden age of illustration. All these movements that were happening during these 50 years were all overlapping each other and a lot of artists were dabbling in several movements at once. All these art genres were influencing and informing each other. There is a way of thinking about artistry that is very categorical and rigid, with the very specific dates at which each movement begins and ends. But the truth is far more complex than that. Those movements were born organically and formed within a very specific historical and social context. But you could have the genres of symbolism, impressionism, art nouveau, aestheticism, the school of Barbizon, realism. And all of these movements coexisted in the same era, in different inclinations depending on where you were in the world. Art and culture is far from being static and unchanging. It is constantly evolving and growing with the world around it. When we start looking at the threads of art, culture, fashion, and knowledge that binds us all, it is magnificent and beautiful. We have always been intimately connected with each other and the world, and we'll always continue to be, and that's amazing. If you haven't listened to it yet, you can pause and listen to the first two episodes where we talked about the arts and crafts and the women's art in the late 19th century, as well as the movements of decadent and aesthetic of decadent art and aestheticism. and the general context of the golden age of illustration, I am making this mini-series on this whole era, but I'm trying to connect it in a very chronological and somewhat thematical way. So it's really better to start at episode 1 because things will just make more sense. <laughs> But in today's episode, as I said, we'll focus on Art Nouveau illustrations, the illustrated posters of the late 19th century and the early 20th century, as well as the movements of Art Deco. So my darlings, let's begin. The beginning of the 20th century brings a new beginning, and A new way of thinking when it comes to art. The Edwardian era that starts in 1901 with the coronation of the King Edward VII in England. Which, by the way, way too many kings. Way too many. Or the Belle Époque in Paris. Brought a very much needed breath of fresh air compared to the Victorian era. The 1900s and the 1910s were generally lighter and less stuffy than the Victorian era on a general basis. I mean, it was still very much stuffy, but you know what I mean, comparatively. Art Nouveau, or New Art, when translated in English, was a reactionary movement that started right at the end of the 19th century and in the first years of the 20th century. Against the absence of creativity when it comes to decorative arts and is a direct continuity and is a direct continuity to the movements of arts and crafts and the movements of aestheticism and decadence that we have already talked about previously. As well as the symbolist movement, which was a movement that sought to truly express the individual emotional experience through the use of highly symbolized visual language. One of the fundamental tenets of Art Nouveau was the abolition of the dichotomy between minor arts and fine arts, which is to say that they fully considered everything from decorative arts, textiles, as well as paintings and sculptures as works of art, and not simply as functional objects only. I think it is also the beginning of design as we understand it today. So creating functional objects, also having a lot of thought behind the creation of these objects, to not only the practical and ergonomical aspect of it, but also on the aesthetic and visual level. Of course, this is something that has always been done. But I think it's truly during that era that design as a discipline got cemented. What with the founding of the Bauhaus, which was a German design, arts, and crafts school that started in 1919. There was a refusal of making one type of art refined and more elitist, and the other more inferior because it is not as exclusive or expensive. They thought the sober decor, boring and dull, and wanted something more vibrant and beautiful. So thus was born a new type of design, Art Nouveau. Visually, Art Nouveau is very easy to distinguish with its very loopy and ordinate lines and its twisted and winding patterns that was something very new and modern at the time. Hence the name, you know, Art Nouveau. This movement was hugely influenced by aestheticism, which we've talked about, as well as Japanese prints once again, which was just a general influence during the 19th century. I know I've already mentioned it, but it's something that truly really had a huge impact on the visual arts of the second half of the 19th century, in a truly profound way. The movement of Art Nouveau was seen mostly in continental Europe, with artists such as Alphonse Mouquin, who everyone knows, and who is arguably the most well-known figure of the genre. His commercial work was very successful at the time, and I think he's one of the main representative artists of the genre, creating a style that is still a huge visual influence, to this constantly referenced and copied times and times again. Luca's artwork was a lot of commercial work, as I said, that was mass-printed and distributed everywhere across Europe. His promotional and commercial artworks are the ones that are the most well-known, but I have to say that my favorite pieces of his are his graphite artworks from Le Pater in 1899, which are absolutely stunning in their very supernatural and bitter-than-life nature. Even though this movement was largely in Europe, This doesn't mean that it was strictly contained to it. Once again, something that we need to remember is that we need to think about art beyond the scope of the Western world of art, because it restricts the ideas and and the possibilities of what we can explore. By focusing strictly on Europe and North America, we reinforce the current narrative that the only valuable art is from these countries. But also we ignore how much more complex and intricate the artistic and cultural output can be. Especially from the 19th century and onwards, globalization and, to be honest, colonialism as well, make it so that these art styles have traveled across the world. It is easier and quicker to travel now, so they are no longer confined to a specific place and time. They change and evolve, and the way a certain movement will be understood and then translated to the medium. The artist Fushijima Takeji was an artist that really liked to create art in the yoga style, not to be confused with the spiritual and or fitness practice of Yoda, But Yoda in this way means basically Western style. But with his own personal sensibilities and cultural context. So he drew a lot of these Western inspired works of art, including Art Nouveau, especially with the lovely, lovely painting Butterflies in 1904 which is a beautiful painting that represents a young woman surrounded by butterflies. The colors are warm, yellows, deep greens and altars. This painting truly embodies the feeling of closeness to nature and the importance of it in the iconography of Art Nouveau. Even though the Art Nouveau styling is not exactly the same, The structural and fundamental tenets of it do stay the same. It is possible to pinpoint the influence of the Art Nouveau in the decorative motifs, but it is always changed and made their own. The way the Art Nouveau movement will decline itself outside of Europe will always be slightly different from the way it started out. What I find genuinely fascinating with those artists and works of art is it's just how imbued with their own culture and personal heritage it is, And they take an originally Western art movement and spin it into something wholeheartedly theirs. This is one of the most amazing parts of art, the way you can take several inspirations and influences and then create something different, and unique, and absolutely lovely. As I said, flowers and nature-inspired patterns and design are essential to the visual identity and symbolism of the art. Eugène Troissé, a Franco-Swiss artist who used a lot of these natural motifs in his art, notably as wallpaper pa- patterns but also as illustration for magazines, from covers to advertisements, really shows how the place of plants and flowers in ornamentation in the late 19th century was extremely important. It can be seen as well in the movements of art and crafts, but it is absolutely central to the movement of Art Nouveau. Rousseau even published a book titled Plants and their Application to Ornaments, in 1896. This is a reflection and consequence of the role of natural sciences and botany, which was extremely popular and relevant in the cultural landscape of the era. His patterns and motifs, as well as the colour palette he often used, were hugely in line with the aesthetic of the movement focused on the natural world, had a huge impact on the organic and sensual lines of the genre. Flowers, vines, sinuous lines and wild nature are an integral part of the Art Nouveau style, a style that is elusive and created from the inspiration of the soul, contrary to the very rigid social norms of the time. Especially in Europe, where everything was extremely codified. The floral motif is the centre of the Art Nouveau movement, aesthetic and iconography. It is the flowing and curvy line of the natural element that contrasts with the rigidity of the industrial era. There is a lightness to the line that was not present in previous art styles especially with how the artists were now focusing on trying to have a newfound freedom in the way they composed their works of art. The art of Eugène Drosser was well within the same style as these artists and in fact looked so extremely well-crafted that it does not look out of place in our current visual world. He also illustrated beautiful calendars with themes of nature and slow living and gardening and home magazines in the 1880s. And it's absolutely adorable. Once again, when it comes to art, and especially when it comes to illustration and the distribution of it, the tools and the available technologies really do make the difference and with the many innovations in the technology of printing, the artists were presented with a sea of new possibilities. Art Nouveau will decline itself in different forms and shapes, from architecture to to the decorative art, jewelry, fashion, and so much more. The thing with Art Nouveau is that it is not a movement that stays confined within the lines of the pictorial. It was a movement that joined the worlds of design and art. It was as much a lifestyle as it was an artistic movement. One of the primary ways it existed was mostly in the form of illustration for posters and advertisements during the founder siècle and also is in isn't it still very peculiar how the terms von Seattle turn of the century, still refer to the passage from the 19th century to the 20th century, even though we have had a similar passage from the 20th to the 21st century, but I don't know, I guess that is the turn of the millennium. I digress, to be honest, this is not important, it's just something I've been noticing. But during that era, the last decade of the 19th century and the first decade of the twentieth, the art of the poster was at its probably all-time peak. The posters for shows and operas in the Paris of the Belly Park, as well as the new type of magazines that emerged during that era, magazines such as Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, and that are still around now. For example, in the United States we had, there were artists such as Charles D. Gibson, who was a huge staple of the art of the 1900s and the 1910s. The Gibson girls were the it girls of the generation. There has always been famous women and social arts, especially during the 18th century and 19th century. But the ushering of the mass communication methods during the 19th century made this an even more permanent phenomenon. Now it was possible to read about the latest gossips and the latest fashions and the latest tips and tricks for beauty, life, and culture. I think it was truly the beginning of the cult of celebrity as we know it today. But it was not the same desire for authenticity the way it exists now. Where it feels like as a culture celebrity it needs to be authentic and reachable. The idols of the early twentieth century were not trying to be hashtag relatable. But they were trying to sell an unattainable image of perfection. They were young, beautiful and rich and they knew it. And this was something that the normal women would not be able to ever achieve. But they used this likeness to advertise and sell magazines, journals, and products, I and mean, a dream. It is indeed the beginning of the advertisement industry as we know it today, I think. Mass media really consolidated the construction of the image in society with the medium of magazines and posters, especially within the first two decades of the 20th century. The way people were understanding identities, gender and class and status, was really solidified and consolidated by mass media. For example, the concept of womanhood was spread through the images that were disseminated through mass media. Notably magazines, posters, illustrations, and prints. A process that is still happening. This is still something that is going on. And I think it's happening now in a more insidious manner even. With social media, it's all around. But then you could at least turn it out, I guess. I don't think it's that easy to do now. Women... I'm, I'm talking about gender as well as in a very binary way when it comes to this concept, and I'm well aware that there is so much more when you start to think about marginalized identities and genders. But I'm really trying to simplify the concept to the most basic understanding that people had of gender in the early 20th century. Women's magazines were a huge enforcer of the gender roles of the time and the ways women were portrayed in media, from the virginal and sporty young woman, the seductive, charming lady, the the housewife and mother, or the angry feminist suffragette. It's like that that the way they understood femininity and womanhood was constructed Of course, it is paramount to understand that these depictions and constructions of gender were created within a capitalist framework of needing these readers to spend their money, so it was a whole mess, and it's something that's still happening today, and the role of the image in media is paramount in the way we understand society, but most importantly in the way in how we shape society. Women's magazines since their inception have always been a key concept in the way women's roles and place in society was changing and evolving. Even today when arguably the medium of the magazine is genuinely out of breath in the form that we often understand it, it is by reading these women's magazines that we can understand the general social zeitgeist around the concept of being a woman, a concept that changed through times and means different things to different people. The illustrations and the advertisements that were in these magazines are extremely telling of the society of the era. Dicker is an artist that truly. Assured a new style of American illustration. He is the forefather of artists such as Norman Rockwell, for example, who really solidified and sold the aesthetic and concept of Americana, not as it exists, but as the idealized and perfect vision of the United States. Well, Rockwell constructed a very near-perfect post-war utopia in his art. Leander. Okay, I'm just going to say it right now. It's out of the way. He was very horny. It's out of the way. First of all, on the technical skills alone, he is up there. The way he paints, the brush strokes, the compositions, the very refined and yet slightly humorous aesthetic is absolutely wonderful. He was an extremely prolific artist, illustrating more than 300 covers for the post, as well as many, many advertisements, all of them fully painted. I think, as I talked earlier about the construction of womanhood, I think it's important to talk about how the illustrations of Leigh and Decker had the effect of constructing instead American masculinity. The men he drew for his advertisements, such as the arrow colour ones which, are, which were very popular, gave an image of a handsome and refined man, but still very much broad-shouldered and slightly rugged, the model of which was his long-term lover. His art has a very wide reach through the post and the advertisement he illustrated. And so I think this is why it was so influential to the understanding of masculinity, even if just so slightly. Once again, I genuinely think the art of laying literature would be considered fine arts simply due to the painterly quality to it and its extreme detail. But it is this popular use for the greater accessibility and ease of reproduction that separates it from fine arts. So once again the difference between fine arts and popular arts Lays down not in skills, but really in the goal of the art. Illustrations are made to be copied and distributed, made easily accessible to everyone. Ultimately, I think, will have as much as a great influence on the general culture as fine arts, if not even more so. Leon D'Ecler is an artist that truly was forgotten for a long while but has been rediscovered in the past few years as people are discovering and admiring the timelessness of his compositions, colors, and talent. So this era, the 1900s, was a real explosion when it comes to the art of the posters. The poster, La Fiche, Was an extremely fun medium for artists to explore and to experiment with. In France, there was definitely an engouement for these posters, even in the last decade of the 19th century, where the word affichomanie, which can be translated simply as poster mania, got coined. There were catalog books that collected several posters of the era by several artists. There is something to be said about the accessibility of the medium, comparatively to fine arts and sculptures, which are not as readily available and affordable to the average person. With the printing techniques, it was possible to create several copies of the same artwork at a speed that never used to be possible previously. But is a copy of the artwork the artwork when it comes to the illustration I think this is one of the reasons why very often illustration is not as valued as the fine arts because of that exclusivity and rarity the prices in fine arts are determined by several factors a lot of them very nebulous and genuinely the the whole world of selling and pricing fine arts is one that is extremely guarded. But one factor that can determine the price of a work of art is rarity. There is only but one single copy of that original art. But is it something that still holds true today? In an era where so many of the famous works of art are easily accessible to the digital collections of museums, or simply through a research. If one of the main reasons illustration was considered as less worthy than fine arts was due to its popular appeal and ease of accessibility compared to the scarcity of the fine arts, then what does it mean now? I do not pretend to have all of the answers. Not at all, but it is an important conversation to have and to start, especially when the world of art is still as elitist as ever. I want to mention the short series by John Berger called Ways of Seeing, as well as the book of the same name. John Berger is one of my favorite art historians and essayists. And I think especially in the first episode, he says something extremely relevant to this topic. About how there is the original art, but we buy all of these postcards and we see the images in books and on screens. And then that art still exists as a unique version. Are these copies still art? I do not know, but but I think these kinds of conversations are very interesting. When it comes to art deco, it is a genre that is definitely associated with the 1920s and the early 1930s. So this is a movement that is toward the end of the golden age of illustration, which we have previously established as being roughly from the 1870s to the 1920s, but it is still a beacon of art and creativity. This art movement existed, as was Art Nouveau before it, not only in the field of visual art, but also of architecture, interior design, advertisements, but... I think most importantly, in the world of fashion. It is derived from the words Art Décoratif, a Decorative Arts. One important event for this movement was the Exposition Internationale des Arts Décoratifs et Industriels Modernes. Which can be translated as universal exhibit of decorative art and modern industrialisms. Visually, Art Deco was extremely sleek and modern, and definitely was leaning into the aesthetic of modernity. Especially after the First World War, there was this desire to leave the past behind and move forward. It was used heavily in the sets of the Hollywood movies during its early years, and especially with the pre gold movies and the early golden age of movies. And it is associated with the concept of upward social mobility. So after all, it is not surprising that it is so deeply associated with the vibe of the era, the 1920s, where the age of jazz, of the Great Gatsby, of the roaring twenties, but also of continued colonialism and imperialism, of the aftermath of the horrible First World War—something that must have been incredibly traumatizing to the people who lived through it and were probably not expecting it for it to happen again so soon. Art Deco is a very streamlined style, in line with the very simple fashion style of the era, where we let go of the lavish Edwardian fashion style and the the extravaganza of the Art Nouveau style's flourishes and ornaments. For a more simple, clean, and visually less cluttered style of the jazz age, we have to thank the influence of... Jeanne and Elsa Parelli and Paul Poiret, just to name a few. And unfortunately, Coco Chanel. And I cannot not mention her when it comes to the fashion of the 1920s, unfortunately, and how influential she was. But I also just want to take this occasion to mention that she was very much a Nazi spy and I absolutely despise her as a person. I do admit I love the brand's aesthetic in general, but there needs to be a with the fact that she was very much a nice spy Anyway, so during those years where curves and organic lines were once favoured, it was now a very straight and geometrical stylized look with angles and straight lines even though there were definitely handcrafted items as well as mass-produced ones, there was this desire to bring in a counterpoint and contrast to the traditional approach of Art Nouveau. As I said, there's always this this sort of swinging balance that goes through art when something is favored. A few years later, the complete opposite will be favoured instead. Despite the visual novelty of Art Nouveau, the themes were very much in keeping with nature, romanticism, and beauty. Meanwhile, Art Deco was something that defined itself as very modern. It can be seen in the new aesthetics of the buildings that were constructed in the middle of the most urban cities of the world. For example, simply in New New York City, there is the Chrysler Building. But the one that really, really caught my eyes more than the others is the American Radiator Building in New York once again, which I have put an image of it on my social media But you can just quickly doodle it if you you want. It is an extremely striking building. It's black and gold, which are some of the main colours of the Art Deco style palette. And it is so different from the rest of the urban landscape. The aesthetic of Art Deco was also incredibly influenced by Colonial and Orientalist aesthetics. The prevalent visual inspiration for the 1920s Art Deco is thus a mix of extreme modern, modernity for the era, the current artistic movements of the, in fine arts, such as Cubism, Fauvism, and Futurism, but also of quote unquote exotic visuals, and aesthetics. Notable Orientalist elements such as the kimono, the puffy Aladdin-style trousers, were definitely making their way in the mainstream fashions. There was also a vested interest in Egyptology and everything relating to the exploration of the dark and unknown locales, of the mystery of the exotic brown people, Once again, this is more about how the only way Western culture was relating to foreign cultures was always by positioning itself either in a position of power, but also of consumer, in a very paternalistic attitude at best, or outright racist at worst. I mentioned earlier that this was also the beginning of the industry of cinema and of the seventh art, and in the 1920s, there was a lot of movies playing on the exotic and foreign settings, and tropes for the entertainment of a Western white audience. Such movies as The Thief of Baghdad and The Sheik, and The Son of the Sheik. Well, you can see how that goes, Of course those movies starred only white people or vaguely exotic white people in brown faced and costumed in vaguely oriental and fully orientalist costumes. When it comes to the cultural landscape of the nineteen twenties, it is important to keep fashion in mind as I said, as it's has been something that has always been in dialogue with art. There were always a lot of Art Nouveau-inspired dresses and accessories. But with Art Deco and the fashion world of the 1920s, there was a synergy between the two that was incredibly unique, and it was the age where Haute Couture Really solidified themselves, but also the magazines such as Bode and Harper's Bazaar really established themselves as well. Really established themselves as well. The nineteen twenties were before the prevalence of photography in magazines, so the covers were often illustrated in the styles of the era by extremely talented artists, such as Georges Barbier and his contemporaries, Charles Le Pape and Herté. We talked earlier about how the art of the poster really became incredibly important to advertising with the Art Nouveau movement. But it is during the Art Deco age that it truly solidified itself as essential to the marketing, not only of promoting plays and data, but also a lifestyle from travels to the newest fashions, to the furniture and design, and daily life products. The poster and the magazine cover became a crucial part of the modern world of retail. The Bauhaus might have been the first school of modern design, but it was not the only one during that era. Several books to learn how to design and how to create in the new modern world were suddenly available. The main difference with the 1920s age of posters comparatively to the late 1890s and 1900s was that the artists and designers such as the Union des Artistes Modernes or Union of Modern Artists was that they wanted to promote craftsmanship Within mass production. It was about mass communication and capitalism. Design is a lot of things, and people understand it differently. But it is also about this desire to bring beauty and artistry to the mundane, to the quotidian. As industrialization was visibly now a certainty in modern life, The outcomes of it should be at least visually pleasant. Before we go, I put a bunch of relevant resources on today's subject in the show notes as usual. As always, all the relevant images will also be on all of our social platforms at Imaginarium underscore pod on Instagram as well as on Twitter. The podcast was written... Narrated and produced by yours truly, Naja. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so on slash Naja. I want to take this opportunity to thank my patrons, Mili, Vinyasala, Chanlita Petinuyan, Jad, Sam Jenny, Jameson Red, as well as Natalie. Thank you so much for making the work I do with this podcast possible. Today's recommendation of the day is the song "Alabas" by Sheb Jalal. It is one of my favorite Algerian songs of all times. And I once just burnt my father for 30 minutes just so he could tell me his favorite artist of the 80s and the 90s, which is my favorite era of music so that was fun and this song is the one that really stayed as my favorite so this is my recommendation for you today on this i wish you all a very lovely day evening or night and i hope to see you again very very soon (laughs)